You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. It will affect your life. So we're going to get into the Word of God tonight. And we are reading in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And we are reading here. I'm going to have... Uh, Pastor Ryan read a few verses of scripture. We are covering the discourse between chapter 11 verse 2 through verse number 16. And this is one segment, one passage here. So if you wanted to put a, 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 a mark here, a section off verses 2 through verse number 16. And we're going to look at this together. Now, last week, I think we only got through three verses. So, by the help of the Lord, we're going to get through a little bit more verses. So, if you open up your Bible here, let's follow along. And I want you, Brother Ryan, just to read real quickly, read through, if you will, the first uh, uh, two through six for us. Are we on? Now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Okay, so let's recap if we can real quick. Last week, uh, not last week, it was we've actually gone through three weeks, a little hiatus here. But uh, the last part, part 16, where we talked about the first part, I took time to lay the foundation of what this passage is talking about. And the, the temptation when we read through this passage is to first jump to the fact that Paul gets to the point of talking about hair, and we make this passage, we reduce this passage, if I could use that terminology, we reduce this passage down to hair. By the way, it's good to see brother and sister Wilson here tonight. Amen. Give them a great big welcome home. All right. Amen. They're visiting now. I guess it's not their home now, but they're visiting back here in St. Louis, and uh, you guys made my night. Amen. And uh, the, the newlywed couple here tonight. Uh, we were talking about how what Paul's main focus in this passage is, is talking about the order of creation or a divine order, the divine series that God lays out, and how when God, in his creative order, there was purpose and intent, and that comes down to who we are in Christ, that, that comes down to who Christ is, who, who God is, who Christ is, who we are as male and female, our roles, our responsibilities, and how we present that in public worship. So in chapter 11, Paul is talking about our public worship. And we as individuals, we have to represent and testify of the things of God, even in our conduct. So this is really an interesting passage because Paul is letting us know that everything we do, we cannot just compartmentalize it how we live, how we act, even down to how we dress and how we present ourselves. You cannot compartmentalize everything we do is, number one, tied to the spiritual, and it has implications. It has 
uh, it's, it's sending signals. It's communicating something. And so, so Paul establishes the divine series in this first part. We, we, I won't rehash all this, but, but God, then Christ, then man, then woman. And this is the creative order, the creative order. So, uh, and we talked about how the traditional interpretation of the Trinity says that there's a Father, there's a Son, there's a Holy Spirit, and they're co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. Um, but that breaks down here in chapter 11 because Paul says God came first. And then the manifestation of God in flesh, the Messiah, the God-man, God transcending, God bridging the gap, the unknowable God becoming knowable, the untouchable God becoming touchable, God manifest in the flesh came after, which means there was a beginning to Christ. So Christ is not uh, co-eternal, always been, there was a beginning, and and uh, in our absolute series that we taught many years ago, uh, I talked about how there was a beginning to the manifestation and before the beginning, in the beginning. I believe that the beginning of all things was established by God determining that he was going to reveal himself. And so when he determines he's going to reveal himself, he then has to create something to reveal himself to. Amen? But he doesn't create something to reveal himself to without first determining he's going to reveal himself. The revelation of God is Jesus Christ. Yeah. Jesus Christ is the morphe. He is the express image of God. The fullness of God dwelleth in him bodily. So, so Christ came first from the foundations of the earth, and then creation comes and God creates. And so God, then Christ, amen. So Christ, when we see Christ, he is a full reflection of everything that God is. He is fully God, but there is a part of God that's unknowable and unseeable with our finite creature, our mortality. We can't know the full expanse of God. We, we, God has to speak to us in human terms so that we can understand him. And so God speaks to us. He speaks the language of you and I, and he, he's, he's relevant relative to us. And he comes to us. Christ is the revealed of God. In the beginning was the Word. What's the Word? The Word is the Logos, the revealing of the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah. Amen. But that John 1, 1 begs the question, well, if there was a beginning, what was before the beginning? Because if God is eternal, he's without beginning. Yeah. So if there was a beginning, well, God was before the beginning. Yeah. So it's the unknowable God become knowable. It's the, it's the God, amen, everything, the God absolute that said, I'm going to reveal myself. That's where I think time-space conundrum began. That's where that, that time-space matter, all that stuff begins wow. at the determination that God's going to reveal himself. And then God created man. And man is reflective uh, gives reflection of the glory of Christ. And then after man, God creates woman. And women are a reflection to humanity or mankind. They represent that. So, so in this beginning, it's not a hierarchy where women at the, are at the bottom or, or the, the, the inferior. It is a divine series. It's an order here in the sense that he's talking about. And he's going to go on and he's going to dispel that, uh, that, 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 
ide ideology of hierarchy or uh, uh, not equality. He actually dispels that later on and, and, and reinforces the fact that we are equal before God, male and female, but we are created male and female with purpose, with distinction, with roles, and with responsibilities. So Paul, or Paul establishes this here in 1 Corinthians, and he says how you worship. Don't miss this. He starts with the divine order, and then he says how you worship publicly and corporately matters. If you're a man, then you need to be a man when you worship. If you're a female, then you're, you understand who you are in Christ, and your worship ought to reflect that. And so Paul talks about that. Now, why is this relevant? Well, because we're talking about a Corinthian society uh, in Corinth, uh, uh, a Greco-Roman world, if you will. That's Greeks and uh, the Romans now influencing that. Um, the, 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 the gross immorality that's prevalent in Corinth, okay? The gross immorality. Uh, I can't answer my phone right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do this if I can. Sorry, I'm in a meeting. All right. Amen. They'll get a kick out of that when they realize that I'm in the middle of Bible study. <laughs> So in the Greco, let me let me let me uh, 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 let me get to uh, part of my notes here. By the way, I have five pages of notes tonight. So, did you say Lord help him or Lord help me? All right. So here, um, and I'm still on the recap. We haven't started tonight, just so you know. Uh, but this is new. This is new. So if you go back and you study the Isle, the Isle of Lesbo, it was an actual Greek island, Lesbo, L-E-S-B-O-S. -E um, the island is widely known as the home of the ancient Greek poet uh, Sappho, if I'm saying that right, I think I am, uh, from whom, from whose, in, in this ancient Greek poet who would write, it's his association uh, with homosexuality that the word lesbian derives its modern meaning. Because what you would call someone from the Isle of Lesbo is you would call them a lesbian. That would be, uh, uh, that was a Corinth. Someone for Corinth would be called a Corinthian. And so uh, if... There was somebody from Ephesus was called an Ephesian. So the Isle of Lesbo would be called a, a, a lesbian. But the, the association of this Isle with homosexuality was so pronounced. It was known that the women would not dress modest. It was known, they were known to shave their heads. They were known to wear their hair short. And they were known to have homosexual affections. Uh, in uh, the city of Corinth, of course, you know all of the, the, the idols that are there. We talked about the, the temples, I think 26 temples uh, in total in Corinth. Uh, of course, the goddess Venus was the highest 
um, that was uh, situated over the whole territory there. And uh, there was uh, constant prostitution that was going on. Uh, that was their form of worship, um, if you will. So Paul is writing to a culture. He's writing to a people where um, <laughs> gender, rebellion, blurring, distinctions, uh, rejections of the creative order were very, very pronounced. So here we are in 2023 in the midst of Pride Month, which, you know, our, our nation vehemently promotes in a lot of places. And it's, it's really absurd when you talk about all the, the uh, there's a whole month given to Pride and then almost every month out of the year, not every month, but almost every month out of the year has a day designated to, to um, one or more of the, the whole alphabet soup now title, LGBTQ plus IA, AI, I don't know all the other ones, um, that, that is you know, highlighting this in our society and in our civilization today. This is the world that we live in. And so Paul is writing... Oh, I love it when it gets quiet on Wednesday night. <laughs> Paul is writing here to a society that is probably in some ways, uh, I, I guess it depends on where you live in your context, but probably even more uh, visually or widely known, uh, they didn't hide their immorality as well, let's say, as we do today. And uh, today the danger is uh, we can hide behind four walls in our bedrooms and our living rooms and we can partake in all the immorality and the things that the Roman world was full of in the privacy of our own home. Whereas back then they didn't have, you know, it was going to be more, more open and exposed. And you can still see that 2,000 years if you, later if you go and just walk around and look at their statues you can see how it's pretty much, if those statues are still standing, how many other things were, were present there in that world. And so Paul is writing to Christian churches. Now, uh, just let me pause and make this side note. Um, there's never, ever, and Paul speaks strongly at times against the sin of homosexuality, but as pronounced as it was in that society and civilization, as widely known as it was, it wasn't, uh, Paul did not feel the need to make that his soapbox issue, issue to stand on and, 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 and to condemn people and to just spew some kind of vehement kind of thing. He just preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, there's a power in just living the word of God. Just live the word of God. And uh, the, the whole counsel of God. Declare the whole counsel of God. And it's going to cover everything. And uh, But there are times where he would pointedly take time to deal with things, of course, as he does in the book of Romans. And here he's talking about this. He's addressing the issue here. Uh, he, he addresses sexuality in chapter 7 pretty extensively on, uh, he doesn't address everything that else is going on. He just gives them a path forward. They know what else is going on. And so here he does the same thing. He, he talks about the creative order. And he says, when you come, when you're converted, when you're saved, now later on he's going to say, 
uh, uh, he's going to say, such were some of you, praise God, that you're washed. He's going to talk about homosexuals, the effeminate, whatever else, abusers right. of themselves with mankind. He said, yeah, yeah, I know, I know that, that, was, that was where you were at. I know that's where you were, you, you know, you were dealing, but God saved you. God redeemed you. Such were some of you. You ought to be thankful for that. Praise God for that. Welcome any other sinner. God can save them too. Amen. And so he doesn't have this, it was, a, it was a welcome place. You heard me say it before. I know a few years ago they started making on Google, on the, uh, on the maps, if you go and you look and you pull up a business and you look at it, some places will say on there, they'll say, you know, it's, it's crazy now because it doesn't say, it doesn't say male friendly or female friendly or, or this friendly or that friendly, but our world's so far gone that now it'll say, you know, LGBTQ friendly. And I'll put that on the business when you pull that up. Everybody know what I'm talking about? And I made this statement, I think it was last year. I said, you know what? People are putting that in there, but, um, no, I don't want. I don't. I don't want that. I don't know what just happened. Sorry. Um, I said. I said. You know, when I first saw that, I thought, well, well, we're LGBT friendly too. We're also murderer friendly. We're also liar friendly. Backbiter friendly. Drug addict friendly. Don't start sitting here and thinking, well, you know, I, I just did little sins. No, you were just as dead in your sins as anybody else. Amen. So the cross is friendly for anybody. Hey, you come, 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 repent, repent. Anybody, God, wants, God will change anybody. God will bless anybody. So don't be, don't be uh, 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 you know, now some people can have a spirit attached to them, and I get all that, and they can be in a disposition or whatever, but those people, a lot of them, they're lost. You don't talk about lost. They're lost and they've been lied to. And they have fallen after a lie. And we have the truth and the truth can make them free. Amen. I was talking to somebody today and they were talking about, you know, got caught up in the party scene, life, all that other stuff. But you know, that leaves you empty. You think those people are enjoying their life? You think those people are enjoying their life? Where else are they going to go? Because the world's telling them, hey, live this way. This is great. This is great. They go, they're doing all the stuff. They're buying into all the things. But I promise you, come on, does anybody remember where you were when you were in sin before the Lord found you? Remember how sin sick you were, how messed up you were, and you were hungry for something? And when you came in contact with the presence of God, there was something there. You're willing to forsake everything else and run after him. Amen. I'm going to tell you, that, that's, that's what the world's looking for. Not all of them are looking for. Some of them, they, some, some of them, they love their darkness, but there are some that are just so lost. They've been lied to. They keep trying everything else, looking for something. Amen. But the power of the Holy Ghost in one moment can change their heart, change their life, change their spirit. So Paul, so, so we address it. We talk about it. We deal with the issues. We, we, we name truth. We speak truth openly. Amen. So that's what Paul's doing. He's talking about this creative word. And he's saying, he's not telling them everything not to do. He's saying, here's what you do when you come and here's how you worship God corporately. You worship God, how you were made, how God created you. He created you with a purpose. And that purpose is not just, that's not just casual. You don't just discard that. Now, in the church, we are uh, in the church. In one place, Paul says, there is neither male nor female, nor bond, nor free, nor Jew, nor, nor Greek, nor uh, uh, 
he was talking about our access. He was talking about our equality. We all have, there is no one that's superior, no one that's inferior. We are all level at the foot of the cross. Amen? One's not better than the other. No, no one in the church is greater than the other. It doesn't matter. You're a sinner just like me. Doesn't matter what your sin. When we're baptized, we are baptized for the remission of our sins. And no matter how great we thought we were before we went into that grave, we went into that watery grave needing Christ just as much as anyone else. So when I come up out of the watery grave, amen, I am redeemed. Amen. Just, just because I was born in church, raised on a pew, had a songbook for my pillow and a suit coat for a jacket, just because I knew all of that stuff, that didn't put me any closer to God. That didn't put me any higher. That didn't put me any in a better position. I was just as level as the rank murderer, the rank sinner, anyone else. And when they come up out of that watery grave, they have just as much access to the anointing and the power and the privilege of the presence of God as I do. So we are all level at the foot of the cross. But when God saved me, I didn't stop being a man. And when God saved some of you, you didn't stop being a female. You are still. And you are made in his image. We are made in his image together. Amen. Male and female made in his image. But there is a creative order and there is a distinction in that order. And it's, it's that, uh, that that the church historically sometimes has gotten wrong and twisted and, and, and used to, to uh, an abusive situation. And it's that that the, the world rejects today and rebels against. And I mentioned it last uh, in our last uh, lesson that if you wanted to rebel against God, the greatest way you can rebel against God is to rebel against his creative order. Because you can be a sinner in other ways, but you still acknowledge that you are what God made you. Well, I'm a man. It doesn't make me any better. It doesn't make me any less in need of God. But when you absolutely just want to totally rebel and defy God in every way, well, you'd say, no, I'm going to even reject the created order that God made me. And so that's the work and the effect of sin. That's the lie of hell. That's the lie of the enemy. Amen. So Paul's writing to this. So, so we talked about this. Man is the source. Christ is the source of man. God is the source of Christ. Man is the source of the woman. And there is reflection there. We talked about this. We already established this. That man, man is representative of his source. And, and, and woman is representative of her source. And so the head, the headship of who we are is reflected in our disposition. Now, for us in our modern culture, a lot of this is lost in us because our culture is strayed so much from these kind of, 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 of distinctions or even types of ideals of distinction, I guess. But in ancient culture, there would have been customs and things that they would have had. And so... Uh, Throughout culture, you can see there's all kinds of different coverings and, and everything. But here, what Paul is saying is that when a man worships God, he is representative of the glory of God. And you go back and watch this as I explained it deeper. And so God's glory is not to be hidden. God's glory is to be on display. When we come into the presence of God in corporate worship, I am not to be on display. It ought to be Christ. Right. That's on display. Yeah. So since the man was created first and he's representative of Christ, his head is not to be covered. And because he is revealing the glory of God. 
But because woman was created second, and she, was, she is representative of humanity or mankind, if you will, of man, her head ought to be covered because no flesh should glory in the presence of God. We don't come in and we don't, we don't try to reveal that in that sense. And so Paul is establishing these things here. And we're going to see that there's, there's testi- testimony of that both in the Old Testament and in uh, the book of Revelation. So the big takeaway here was, was how we live uh, our, present, our public presentation matters. And the big takeaway was the difference between honor and dishonor. And so Paul is talking about what's honorable and what is dishonorable in corporate worship. Now, remind you, he's talking about distinction of sexes in our corporate worship. Okay? Don't miss the big part that he's talking about. He started with the divine series. Distinction of sexes and, and the creative order in our corporate worship. So, before we, we strain at a gnat and we swallow a camel, let's not, let's not focus in so much and let's not reduce this chapter down to just hair or angels. That's usually the catchphrase here. Or the catchphrase of this chapter is, oh yeah, that, that chapter is just about hair, or it's about angels. And we miss the whole point that Paul is making about distinction of sexes in our public presentation. So it's about honor, and it's about dishonor, and it's about respect in your life for your created nature. Now, if you have been taught or grew up in a, under the theology that women are subservient to men... I could understand why you would want to rebel against that kind of type of thing, um, and, and and think that Paul is twist is Paul is really being uh, uh, dogmatic here or hard in some way. But when you understand what Paul is trying to say, and and all throughout Scripture, we already talked about this in chapter seven. Paul is elevating. Paul elevates in a it's counterculture. He elevates the status of both women and singles. In the church. Paul has elevated. This was countercultural because in their culture they would look down upon you for that. And Paul is elevating the status of singles. He's elevating the status of virgins, which, which would be hard pressed probably to find in a culture like Corinth. And Paul is elevating the status here. And so it's about honor and dishonor. It's about respect in your life for your created nature, how God created us. Um, when we dishonor our nature, we in effect dishonor both the one who created us and the others created different from us. And that's exactly what is happening in our culture and in our world today. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. So let's see here where I'm at. Okay. All right. So page two. Further, we talked about, we closed out last week talking about, you know, went back to Deuteronomy where there's a distinction of sexes. God had already established distinction of sexes in worship, corporately, in their lifestyle, in their whole community. It was an abomination for a man to wear that which pertained to a woman and a woman to wear that to a man. He had established that because we are to illustrate our creative nature. A man ought to present himself as a man. Ought to be known as a man. Ought to... Uh, because he's giving honor to God. God does all things well. You don't have to be shameful of, of that. A woman ought to present herself as a woman. She ought to be a man honoring God by that. God did not get it wrong. Don't ever say, I should have been created a man, or I should have been created a, a boy, or I should have been created a girl, or I should have been. No, 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 no. God doesn't make mistakes. 
You devalue yourself and you devalue others when you say things like that or when you think things like that. God didn't make a mistake. Amen. So you show the honor and the respect in that. Uh, further illustrating that, that not just was apparel a sign of sexual distinction, but further illustrating that hair is a sign of sexual distinction. In Revelation chapter 9 and verse 8, it says, and they had being descriptive, and you don't have to turn there, and they had the hair as the hair of women. And so the Bible, we have implication, two things. We have implication in Jeremiah, which we'll see, and we have implication in, in Revelation that men and women's hair has a distinction and is different. And then later on, uh, you know, some people would oppose this chapter based on the idea that, well, Samson had long hair, therefore, so chapter 11 is irrelevant, as if it's just wasted and we can just cut it and take it out of the Bible. But if you go back and you look at that, that was a, a special case, Nazarite vow, initiated by the Spirit, and the point of it was that it put him in a place of visible humility, that he was taking on something that in the outward was shameful, amen, for the sake of, for the sake of his covenant before the Lord, which implies that it was not normal, that this is something that is exceptional that is taking place, and this is something that, that men don't do. In that sense. So, anyways, um, so let's read now. We read verses four, five, and six. Um, and uh, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesied with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. Okay, so now this is going to be a little confusing starting out here. Reading through, we know that Paul is talking about uh, hair, he's talking about men having short hair, women having long hair, about there being a nature and a natural shamefulness to this. He talks about nature. He talks about uh, he never once uses uh, uh, the word that would have been used for a veil or a hat, but he's here talking about headship and covering, and it's a testimony that this is an issue of hair. So our physical hair, natural, that God gave us this covering. This isn't something that we do. This is something that God gave us. As I look around the room, I see a lot of men that don't have their heads covered. It's a natural illustration that our, our heads don't stay covered. Now, there's always exceptions. So there's men that, you know, will die with a full head of hair. And there are women who sometimes, for whatever, genetics, whatever, will lose their hair. We don't determine we have no control over our hair. And Jesus illustrated that when he said, which one of you can take thought? <laughs> going to add to your stature? You, 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 you're going to grow more hair? You can't just will yourself to grow more hair. You can't do it. You have no control over it. You can lose weight. You can gain weight. Well, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. But you have no control over your hair. You can't control that. And so here he said even nature. So when the appeal to nature has always been common for men to go bald, women, that's usually the exception, not, not uh, the norm. And so here he's talking about a natural thing that God gave us that is a natural distinction of sexes that God gave us. Now, there's a lot of distinction of sexes. We can talk about that. But one very visible way that God gave us was our head covering. It was our hair. And, um, 
uh, we, we, we know that. So here he's talking, and he's letting us know, as I've already talked about the headship, we've already explained all that. He says here, for that, in verse 5, but every woman that prayeth or prophesy with her head uncovered, dishonors her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now, it's a different thing. You, you get sick, you have an issue, you lose your hair, you have no control over that. You can't control over that. Okay. But it's a different thing when you go out and you shave your head. And, and, and you would willfully say, no, I'm, I'm rebelling against what God created and I'm shaving my head. Well, why is this relevant? Think of how this would have hit home to the Corinthians who are very aware of the Isle of Lesbo. Where what is their common practice? Where the women with homosexual, uh, uh, you know, affections are constantly, you know, walking around uh, very immodest with their heads you know, shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. So Paul says, look, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're rebelling against this, then you might as well, you might as well, uh, uh, you might as well just shave it all off in, in your heart and your attitude. You're, you're rebelling against what God has established. You might as well just cut it all off. And he said, but if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. So this was a natural thing. He's making an appeal. Okay, they would know. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's something that would be a shame to us. We, we would not want to do that. Then he's saying, then let her be covered. Now, um, he never here, he's, talk, he's talking about a physical cover, covering with spiritual ramifications. So we know that. So there's a connection here. This is important. But he appears to be talking about a simple covering. And then, as we read on, he reveals that he's not talking about a simple covering, but he's talking about the natural covering of hair, because there is no reference to a veil or a hat covering in the text. So I want you to read on, if you will, here. Read, uh, let's skip a few verses, if you will. Read verses 13, 14, and 15, if you will. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Okay. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? Okay, so this isn't just about the women, this is about the men. If men, you're growing your hair out, you know, to, to as as a woman, that's a shameful thing. All right. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. So that last phrase lets us know here: for her hair is given her for a covering. God would not demand something out of you um, He didn't already provide. He provided that for you. That was in the created order. He put that on you. The distinction: you don't have to do any modification to to make yourself distinct. God created you that way. This predated sin in the garden. This is a natural thing that was there in the garden. And so he's talking here and says that the issue here is, is of covering his hair. So this is a natural thing. So he's not just talking about a hat or a veil. There's no word here that references that here. So he could have easily used those words if, if I believe if Paul was implying that there was a veil or a hat, he could have easily used that word. Now, I have dear friends and, and great people, and I've ministered in churches and, and apostolic cultures that do believe that with this, you need to have a covering, um, uh, that you need to have a physical covering. And so for their ladies, they will have a physical covering. They'll put, you know, a little cloth or what, what someone may have called a doily or a headband or something just as a sign and as a symbol to put that on there. I do not believe that the text is implying that or putting that in there. Some do, and they do that out of obedience of their understanding. And so I, do, I don't believe that that is a cause for, 
uh, uh, disfellowship by any means. I honor them in the fact that they are honoring God and their ability. And so praise God for that. So this is not a source that we're trying to argue over and fight over. Don't miss the point. Because what they are doing even in that, they are still maintaining this concept that I am recognizing that I am either a male or a female, and I am worshiping God accordingly before the Lord. I am honoring God for how He made me. And so we praise God for that because that is the big issue here. That is the key issue here that we want to talk about. But he, he is here, I believe, in the text. He is talking about hair. He is talking about our natural hair. I believe he's talking about our natural length given to us. Um, and he's talking for ladies. He's talking about cut or uncut hair. And for men, he's talking, you need to keep your hair short. That's what he's letting us know. So how long is long? Well, long can be relative, right? Because you can't control how long your hair grows or how long it doesn't grow. And so different cultures, different types, different peoples, whatever, you can't control it. You can't control the sickness. You can't control the thing. But the point is here that when we worship God, we worship God as he created us. That's the main point. Don't miss the point. Don't miss the big takeaway. Don't strain at the gnat and swallow the camel and miss the takeaway. What God is saying is when you come before God corporately in the body of Christ, or as you live your life, you worship God as a male or you worship God as a female, according to how God created you. And you honor God for that. And to do that, we have to have a healthy understanding of what it means to be a male or to be a female. And one's not less than the other, one's not greater than the other. And that's been a problem. Historically, in some church cultures, in some parts of, of Christianity throughout the world that has has uh, messed that up. Amen. So Paul, uh, Paul here, let's go on. I gotta, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, try, I'm trying to, to put here. By the way, note this, the word shame. Where's the word shame? The word shame is used twice. It's used in verse six and it is used in uh, 14. Thank you. The word shame. Same word used for when Adam and Eve committed sin in the garden. So I want you to note this, that shame doesn't come from obedience All right. to God, but it comes from disobedience. All right. All right? Amen. So I don't want to be living in disobedience to God. I want, I want to be living in obedience to the Lord. Amen. Uh, I have the premier study Bible here, and I'm going to read an excerpt here from the commentary that was, that was here. It says of, of, of verses 5 and 6, it says, The woman finds her authority and signals her submission to her authority by the covering by covering her head with her long hair by which she has power on her head and also demonstrates her voluntary deference to her husband and ultimately to God. The words used to describe her hair as a symbol of this divine arrangement are threefold. They are shaven, which indicates a completely cut off, uh, completely to completely cut off the hair, shorn, which indicates to cut regardless of the length, and long, verses 15, which in this context means to be neither shaven nor shorn. So I'll just put that there in the NIV, 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 6, the New International Version says, For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off her head or her head be shaven, then she should cover her head. And Marvin Treese, one of our apostolic, uh, former apostolic scholars who's passed away, has an incredible book on 1 Corinthians. It's out of print. If you can find it online, you need to buy it. It's a great uh, 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 study. 
he translated, he did a whole translation of the books that he wrote commentaries on. So he translates himself, he was a Greek scholar, for if a woman, he says in verse 6, for if a woman is not covered, let her hair be cut, but it is but if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut or shaven, let her be covered. So we talked about all that stuff. So I want to go now, if we can, let's move in the next couple of minutes here to verses 7, 8, and 9, okay? Because this is so critical. Oh, I, I wish I could get through all of this tonight, but I may not be able to, and I don't want to cheat this tonight. Um, so is that all right? Are you offended if I take too much time on this? You're all right. Thank you. Nobody's going to say yes, you know, but thank you. Um, so in chapter 7, uh, or chapter 11, verses 7, 8, and 9, well, he did this earlier in verse 3. Paul is talking about our distinctions, and this is so important. And this, we have to have this understanding for us to be healthy, to understand this, male and female. I talked about this. God, we're distinct. And, and well, let's just, let's just read it. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. All right. For as much as he is the image and glory of God. All right. But the woman is the glory of the man. There it is. He's reiterating what we've been talking about here. Yes. For the man is not of the woman, yes. but the woman of the man. Yes. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. All right. Okay. Read verses 11 and 12. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. All right. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. All right. So this is so good. This is so, 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 so good. So good. And Paul's trying to establish the central reason. I want you to catch this. The central reason for these, this section of 15 verses from verse 2 to to verse uh, 16. The central reason for the apostles' discourse here is the order of creation manifested in worship. That's the main point. It is not hair. That's the byproduct. That's the manifest. That's the illustration. The central reason is the order of creation manifest in worship. And he's touching so much other stuff here. This is so powerful. First of all, let me just, I'm going to read to you some things here to sort of establish some things. Male and female. We've already done, I did a Genesis series, 23 weeks. You can go back and we talked through this. So, so powerful. This is rooted in Genesis. Remember Genesis 1 through 11. Every major doctrine, every major idea, concept is found, its roots in Genesis 1 through 11. That's why that was so important. This is rooted in that. God created us male and female. We are created with equality in life, There's, we are absolutely equal in value before God in every way. One is not greater than the other. But in our, in our creative form, we are created with distinction in roles. This is very critical. We are created with distinction in roles. A woman cannot do what a man can do. A man cannot do what a woman can do. A man can't... Men cannot live without women, and women cannot live without men. God created, so we had to be interdependent, not independent. There is no room. There's no room for the, what, what, what do the little rascals call it? The, the she-haters. 
He-Man Woman Haters Club. There's no room for the He-Man Woman Haters Club. Woman Haters Club. That cannot be a life group. <clears throat> no room for that. Okay? And, and vice versa. You can't get together and say, well, we're just, we're just going to be, you know. You cannot say, I have no use for women if you're a man. You cannot say, I have no use for men if you're a woman. Because you are dependent on them. And it took two of them, both of them, one of each, to get you here. You're not without the other. And you understand that you have to be dependent upon one another. Right? For this whole thing to work. There's value in here. But there's distinction in roles. Okay? So follow me. Let's, let's break this down what Paul's saying. The man was created first. And then the woman was created. We know this. So real quickly. The man was created first. When woman is created, man is given a mission. Or we could say a responsibility or we could say an authority. Here's his mission or his responsibility or his authority. Not in the context of authority like you think, like the world thinks where you, you know, lord down. That's not, that's not the authority I'm talking about. Man is given the mission to love her to the point of death and see after her well-being. That's man's mission. He forsakes all others and serves her well-being in provision and in protection. That's his mission. The woman is to live sub-mission. She is to live under his mission. His mission is to love her to the point of death. She is to live under that mission that he is my provider, he is my protector, I will not seek another to provide for me, to protect me, to procreate with me. I am living under his mission, his responsibility, his authority. That doesn't make her less than. That puts them together, you understand? The man must live with that mission. When they live in harmony, the result is a fruitful home. She births and nurses their offspring. It's not his offspring. It's not her offspring. It's their children. It is placed on the husband to do what God has commanded and enabled him to do. And it's placed on the wife that she does what God has enabled her to do. Now note this, it is not her mission to serve his well-being. It may be in her interest to help him out. <laughs> and ladies, he's probably going to need some help. But he can take care of himself. God says, no, you can take care of yourself. But I give you the mission of taking care of the one who is going to carry and birth and nurture the vulnerable offspring. That does not take away from the woman. That does not say that the woman can't take care of herself. She can take care of her. When she's grown, she can take care of herself too. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. That's not, that's not lessening that. That's not weakening that. But there are different distinctions and there are differing roles. And that's carried all the way out. What Paul says here in verse 7, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Amen. Now we are all children of God equally, right? We are all children of God. And we are called the bride of Christ. That is not uh, a feminizing the masculinity that exists in the body of Christ. No. Okay? But we are the bride of Christ in that we understand the role and the distinction that God established in the creative order. And we honor it. And because we know it, even as a man living in my God-created maleness, whatever you want to call it, I can understand that I am a bride of Christ. I am the bride of Christ. That's not a perversion. That's understanding. What does that mean? That means that Christ's mission is to love his bride to the point of death and provide and protect. And my responsibility is to live in submission to his mission that he is my provider. I don't look for another. That he is my protector. I don't run to another. That he is the one alone. Amen. That works in my I'm not running around finding another one. Amen. So as a male, I understand that concept when I come into church, when I'm living for God. Yes, I can live in submission. Amen. Because his mission is over my life. Why wouldn't you want to live in submission? And guess what, church? God has not put on us the responsibility to provide and protect for him because he doesn't need provision. He's the I am that I am. (laughs) He doesn't need protection. Hallelujah! Come on, I'm thankful that I know who I am in Christ. I know who I am. I know whose I am. Hallelujah! My hope is in the great I am. Hallelujah! Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So, if that's the model... Christ becomes the bridegroom and we become the bride, then why do I want to pervert the type ology that he's put in creation? I'm living it out. So men, be proud to be a man. God created you as a man. And women, be proud to be a woman. Don't blur those lines. Don't, don't, Don't let the world tell you what's cool and what's acceptable. No, you be proud to be what you are because you are representing a man. A role, and you are playing out literal typology of our relationship with Christ. So, in a Corinthian culture with an isle of Lesbo and, and all these goddesses and all the immorality that's going on, it's no wonder that Paul comes to the Corinthian church and says, "Look, first thing, if we're going to worship God corporately, okay, you want to know how to worship? Let's start with let's start with the basic things before we even talk about anything else. Before we even talk about how long your service ought to be or not to be, let's talk about this." You ought to worship God how you were created. 
and how you were made. Praise God. Does that help anybody tonight? Does that help anybody? Isn't the Word of God good? Isn't the Word of God good? Amen, 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 amen. Well, bless God. I didn't get to the angels, so we'll come back to that another time. I'll leave you hanging. Amen. Stand together with me tonight.